guys, welcome back to Scrub Club. I'm McKenna. I'm Nairi. And today is a special podcast because we actually have our first guest. We are here with Dr. Nee Darko, who is a trauma surgeon, and he was gracious enough to give us some of his time and talk to us about being pre-med, his experiences being pre-med and going through med school, what he's been through, and what his life is like today being a trauma surgeon. Yeah, so on with the interview. So we wanted to just kind of, um, how, if you were, you know, willing to talk about your career, how you got there, what inspired you, um, and you're DO, correct? Not MD? Yes, I'm a DO. Which is really cool if you don't mind talking about that. Any advice you have for pre-med students or anyone trying to get into the field, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So um, we were just wondering, uh, so if you don't mind talking first about your education, how you got there, what school you went to, what you majored in, what helped you, what didn't help you, that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah. So um, I went to undergrad at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. Um, I applied to medical school during my junior year. And unfortunately, by the time I became a senior, I realized that that dream wasn't going to happen. So I got I got rejected, got a ton of wait lists, um, kind of my whole world just kind of came crashing down. Um, so you got to remember, I'm the type of person who knew I wanted to be a doctor from a very early age and was kind of directing my life in that direction. So when I got rejected, it was just like, whoa, this is not what I expected. What do I do now? So for two years, um, I ran track and cross country in college. Um, the uh, athletic department gave me an opportunity to be a graduate assistant where uh, as long as I coached the track, well, helped to coach the track and cross country team, they would help pay for um, graduate work. So basically I did kind of like a pseudo post back um, during that year and a half or two years where I took some higher level biology courses, virology, all those different courses that you would expect, you know, maybe senior or even graduate coursing courses to take. I took that um, and um, during that time, I decided that I wanted to reapply. I had to get past, you know, the fear of, well, I got rejected once. Maybe I get, I would get rejected again. Yeah. Um, but I really had to take a really good look at the first mistakes that I made. And some of the first mistakes that I made was one, I didn't ask for help. So I didn't really utilize, um, uh, you know, my pre-med advisor as much as I should have. Um, and then the second thing was I just got caught up in other people's success. And what I mean by that is not everybody can go to Harvard. Not everybody can go to Georgetown. Not everybody can go to NYU. Not everybody can go to the quote unquote, like the real big ticket Ivy League type of medical schools. And for right. me, I was like, well, if everybody else is going there, well, that's the only schools that I'm going to apply to. And I did not basically widen my net. I didn't try to look for schools that were maybe in the South, maybe in the West, maybe, you know, in different parts of the country. So that was another thing that I changed. I applied to a lot more schools. And then um, during that those two years, I also um, got an opportunity to learn more about osteopathic medicine. Um, and for the listeners who aren't familiar, osteopathic medicine basically um, is based off of the tenet that the body can self-heal and that we as physicians or osteopathic physicians, we understand the structure and the function of the body. We can kind of help the body get back to that, that um, uh, state of self-healing. Um, so I learned more about that. And um, I realized, I was like, wow, this is something that I'm really interested in. Um, during that time, I was really interested in athletic training. Um, and I'm not saying that the fields are, are connected, but it was just kind of holistic approach that you know, yeah. really resonated with me. So I applied to both schools. 
and um, I decided to go to, um, oh, I applied to both schools, went through the whole interview process, and um, I got into um, a couple of schools and decided actually to leave um, the Northeast, which I was very familiar with, and um, went out to Kansas City, Missouri, and went to the Kansas City University of Medicine and Biosciences, oh, wow. and was wow. in their DO MBA program. That's great. Um, and yeah. so how was DO school for you? Do you know how it differs from like allopathic medical schools and their training or whatnot? The big things are the principles, right? The big things are the tenets. Um, and it goes back to what I said about the body being able to self-heal, um, as well as another tenet, which basically the function of the body is going to work as well as the structure of the body, right? So basically, if the body is not, or if the structure is not in alignment or if the structure is not correct, then how can you expect the body to work, right? So basically, for those who are listening and, and are trying to still understand, you basically do everything uh, similar, MDs in terms of the education, but you take additional courses as well as philosophy in manual medicine, understanding how you can manipulate the, fu- the structure of the body to make sure that it functions correctly, or even just having a holistic approach. So what that means is you're studying biochemistry, you're studying anatomy, you're studying systems, the way in which everybody studies, but there's always that added uh, lectures in terms of, you know, philosophy, as well as, you know, just ways in which you can you can use your hands and, and manual medicine to manipulate the body without getting into too much specifics. Um, during that time, I had an amazing time. Um, I had a very difficult time really in undergrad, not understanding the concepts. It was fine. I just really wasn't interested in it. And right. once I, I got into relate. medical school, <laughs> yeah. I really started to understand what the anatomy classes were for. I started to understand what histology was really used for, right? Because in undergrad, you know, you just do H&E slides. And you don't really understand it. Yeah. You're using it for to understand kidney disease or using it to understand, well, this is what an H&E slide looks like with someone who has, you know, amyloidosis or someone who has Alzheimer's. Then you're like, oh, right. now mm-hmm. I get it. You know, now this yeah. makes sense. Or when you start to do, this is biochemistry, and this is what it means for someone who's diabetic, you're like, oh, now yeah. I get it. Now I understand it. Right before, it was just so abstract. And once I was able to apply it to actual patient conditions, I, I, there was no stopping me. I took off from there. Yeah, I think that we both are in that at the moment now, sitting in chem classes and calc classes and bio classes going, how does this uh, even relate? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> right. we want to study medicine, right. we want to study anatomy, we want to be in this, not learning about plant cells. And I think that that's something that when you bring it up that we can definitely yeah. relate to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you, like how many times are you going to learn about the cloaca? <laughs> all these different things. It's just like, I don't get it, right? And right. Just like you're talking about the plant biology and photosynthesis. You're like, this is great and all, but that's not what I want to do. Yeah, right? very true. Um, but once you get into medical school and you start seeing how, you know, the stuff that you're studying applies to humans and what you can do as a doctor and what you can do with right. pharmacy or surgery, you're like, man, this is amazing. Like, it's, yeah. it takes you to a different level. When you can So that, that was the big thing for me. Um, and um, I'm sure, you know, people who, who, who kind of identify with this story, they feel the same way. Yeah. We were going to also ask, so we we saw that you also are a trauma surgeon, so we wanted to ask, like, yeah. how you got, how you chose that as your specialty, and how it, how you're liking it, advantages, ups and downs of it, disadvantages, whatnot. Okay. All right. You sure you're ready for this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're ready. ready. We like, no, we so, like ER stuff. All right. So trauma surgery basically is taking care of, well, basically is taking care of the traumatically injured patient. Um, so there's two 
main people who take care of traumatically injured people. One is their emergency room physician or emergency medicine. And then the other is the trauma or a general surgeon who's trained to do trauma surgery. That's what I am. I'm a general surgeon who's trained to take care of people in acute settings. Um, so I decided to go into trauma surgery. I did my residency out in um, Atlanta, Georgia. So once I left Kansas City, Missouri, I went down to a medical school called Morehouse School of Medicine, and they had a general surgery program. It was the best experience that I could have. It was at a very large um, hospital called Grady Memorial Hospital. It's the largest trauma center in Georgia, um, and it's a very large hospital, very large trauma center within a 100-mile radius in terms of it being a level one status, which means we get the sickest of the sickest. Right. Um, And then also at the same time, it's a very huge indigenous population. Um, what I mean by that is a significant amount of people who go to this hospital looking for care do not have um, health insurance. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's it, a lot of people there are in need. So I was there working there. And as a general surgeon, you basically um, are learning all the different aspects of surgery um, from neurosurgery to, you know, basic intra-abdominal surgery, gallbladders, appendectomies. Mm-hmm. You just kind of get experience in a whole bunch of different things. And I just noticed for me that the part of surgery that really resonated with me was trauma surgery, mainly because one, you're never, you don't really know what's coming in, right? Your pager goes off and you see that you have a car accident or someone has fallen. You really don't know what to expect until the person gets there. So there's this kind of unknown thing that's going on. Um, And then also at the same time, a lot of these patients have polytrauma. What I mean by that is Mm -hmm. if they're in a car accident, they may have a broken arm, but then they also may have a traumatic brain injury. They may have a broken pelvis. They may have some other injuries going on. So the ability to be trained in all these different things was really exciting to me also. Um, And then you have to work on a team, right? Like no man is an island. No woman is an island in medicine. Um, so the way to the way to safely evaluate a patient, you can't do it by yourself. So you need a team of nurses. You need a team of um, surgeons. You need a team of, of um, um, you know, phlebotomists, people who can get x-rays. So you have to be able to work within a team and, um, and be able to work in harmony so that we can make sure that this patient gets taken care of the right way. So that's, that's really, really important. So all those three things, I just kind of felt like trauma was for me. Um, so I decided to go down that route. So once I finished my five years of training at Grady, which was for general surgery, I then went down to University of Miami, um, which is um, no joke. I mean, it's literally <laughs> taking um, trauma to the next level. And that was a great experience. I was there for one year and got to see so many different forms of trauma, even though I got experience to a lot of it in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, and then I decided to just start my career as a trauma surgeon. Now, some of the things that I really love about trauma surgery is what I described to you, right? Like you can, you take care of people in so many different forms of fashion. I take care of pediatric patients. I take care of uh, geriatric people. I take care of people who are in the middle. Right. Um, but one of the best parts about trauma surgery also is, is that because I can take care of you when you come through the ED and because I'm a surgeon, let's say you need to have your spleen out or you need some type of surgery, I can take you to the operating room and take care of what's going on there and then also because i have additional training in surgical critical care once you finish from the um operating room and you need to go to the intensive care unit i'm there also so whether you like it or not you're going to see this <laughs> you know what i'm saying um from when you come in all the way to when you leave so that continuity of care is something that i really really love it's amazing um i also love working with a team um trauma surgery has seen 
um, a, um, a change in the workflow where it's more um, shift-based, which I think is really great, right? Because yeah. a lot of these people get sick at two in the morning or three in the morning right. and having to constantly be on call can be very taxing for someone. So that type of workflow has been really great um, for me and for my life. Um, and all the different types of surgeries that I do is amazing. Things that are negative, I think, is it's very stressful. It's a very stressful life. I want to tell everybody right now that it's very exciting what you see on TV. It, it you know, it's just like that. Obviously, you know, things are dramatized on TV, um, but it's a lot of work. Um, there are some times that you may miss uh, some weddings, you may miss some funerals, you may miss some birthday parties. So it takes a lot of dedication. Right. But also at the same time, it takes a lot of discipline because you have to be able to say, learn how to say no when it's necessary and then obviously be available when when you need it to be available. So my biggest advice to people is um, try not to be too much of a of an adrenaline junkie when you're looking at trauma. Look at it from a whole perspective and decide, OK, is this where I want to really be? And can I afford to kind of have this type of lifestyle when I'm in my 50s or maybe even my 60s? Yeah. Do I really want to be waking up at two in the morning at that time? Yeah, I think it's really cool being able to talk to you because right now I'm working as an ER tech at a level two trauma center. So I'm getting a taste of everything, uh, seeing a lot of it. And it's so it's cool hearing it from your perspective of Oh, yeah. Obviously, I'm in the beginning stages of it, but I'm still in the trauma room. I'm still seeing it. I'm still interacting with it. And I'm realizing that I really like it. And I like the environment. And I like the fast pace. And I like the grab this, do this. We all just get in it together. And I think that I, obviously I stay in the ED, though. So once once they go to CT, I really don't. And if they have to go to surgery, I really don't see them again. And um, I think that it's cool hearing from you saying that you enjoy being able to the continuity see the story. Yeah. I feel like that's something a lot of ED physicians or yeah. people that work in the ED miss, and it could be something that a lot of people want. Because so. I rarely hear about, unless it's some crazy story, I rarely hear about what happens to the person, and sometimes I want right. to know something right. interesting, or even some of, not even the traumas, but some of our medical, medical cases, I want to know what happens, and I never really find out unless it was something really crazy or something really inter- interesting that everyone wants to know about. So I, I it's cool hearing from you that, you get to see the whole story, I guess. Now, McKenna, I'm interested. So what, what's your feeling or what, what happens to your heart rate when a trauma comes through? Are are you, is, are you like, I was, um, I was in the beginning nervous because, um, you just have to figure out your role and I didn't want to do something wrong. And I'm just the kind of person that is scared to do something wrong. I just want to know what I'm doing. And, um, you know, with, when a STEMI comes in, when a stroke comes in, I know exactly what my role is. And in trauma, I know what my role is. It's just unpredictable. And at first that kind of scared me, but now I'm realizing that I like the unpredictability of it. And um, you, so you get, you know, the short story from whatever the medics tell you. And sometimes it's really close to what's happening and sometimes you don't know. And so we're all just standing there waiting and, and it's an adrenaline rush. I know you're saying that don't be an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> And maybe, maybe, maybe I am because I'm in the beginning of it and you're right. I don't know if I will be when I'm 55, but right now, you know, I'm 19 and, um, but I like it. I I really, I like it a lot. It's, uh, it's, uh, attractive. It's, it's, and you know, nowadays now it's, I think it's a lot more 
friendlier to to more gender equity also too yeah. so that's another thing also i think is the trauma surgery um has definitely um you know it's just you know it just in general it's just been a lot more open to gender equity now so you know things that you didn't see 20 30 years ago you see it now our and, head um, of trauma is actually a woman and she is the coolest lady you'll ever meet and hearing some of her stories and i honestly feel thankful when i'm in the room with her and get to talk to her and because most of our ed docs actually i think all of them and we have a couple of residents that are females but other than that it's all men and yeah. it's cool having her be the head and yeah. she's the head of the department <laughs> and um, she's someone i look up to immensely yeah, like if she can do it then you can yeah. do it too right yeah i yeah. see her and i think wow you're the person that I want to be. You're the type of person that I want to be. And it's cool. I think I'm glad you mentioned that because that's really important. A lot of people need to see. Yeah. In order for them to really understand that they can make it, they need to see someone who's similar to them actually exactly. doing it themselves. Yeah. And I think that um, it's cool when she walks in the room because a lot of the time um, people automatically assume, you know, you're she, she, people will assume she's the nurse and she's mm-hmm. wearing a white coat. And she goes, no, I'm the head of trauma, actually. And um, it's cool that that's her attitude is she she knows that people are like that and she doesn't care. She just goes with it and she's breaking the stigma, which I really like about her and I think is a cool. Yeah, I love it. That's a great story. We were going to ask, um, I mean, at least I was curious because I've been in, um, I shadowed some doctors in the OR for ortho surgery, which I really am liking at the moment, but I wanted to, and it was pretty laid back because it's, you know, there's some like cool music playing and the environment's really cool, but I wanted to know how it was for like a trauma surgery. Is it definitely a lot more, you know, high stress, just a lot more like at stake or is it still like you guys try to keep it calm, relaxed or just wanted to know how that was like it was it was for trauma surgery that's a good question so it depends right um and it depends on a couple of things remember with the trauma surgeon he kind of sets the stage as to how everybody else is going to react so most people who see me in a trauma bay even though there could be four traumas coming at the same time they know that it's very rare that you'll see me start to like start yelling or look nervous or anything like that because I know yeah. ultimately people look to me to make sure that hey if he's as long as he's under control then everything will be okay Definitely. now internally that's the, may not be what's going on <laughs> but I try not to yell I try not to scream right. um, because I think for me that shows a sign of nervousness or a sign that you may not have things under control and then it's very easy for other people to react that way you know, so I'm sure McKenna, you can understand that. Like if the trauma surgeon is going nuts, you're going to be like, well, what do I do? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that also. wouldn't be good. So ter- right. So in terms of going to the operating room, you know, usually when you're going to the operating room the first time in trauma, it's in such a very rushing fashion or you're in, yeah. it's a ver- everything is moving very quickly. You really don't have time to say, hey, you know, let's let's put this music on or let's do this or, you know, because you're literally having to give someone blood, someone is giving this patient blood or, you know, there's multiple procedures going on at the same yeah. time. Usually the first time you go to the OR, it's usually pretty stressful. 
high stress. But then don't forget, there's multiple times that you may have to bring the same patient back um, or you just may have to do some additional surgery. So for me, I don't just do trauma surgery like people who are acutely injured. I also do general surgery. Mm -hmm, So if someone comes in, they need a hernia fixed or they need their gallbladder taken out. That's not an emergency or, you know, even if they come in in the middle of the night and they need their appendix taken out. Those are the type of cases that if you walk into the OR, into Dr. Darko's OR, there's going to be some music playing, right? <laughs> like you may hear some Kendrick, you may hear some, you know, you, you may hear some, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, I want to listen to, you're going to hear it. It's going to be on my playlist. So that's kind of been my, my spiel. Um, and I think for the most part, most surgeons are the same way. Usually the first case is just like, look, we don't have time for this. Let's just get this done. Right. And then when we come back, you know, depending on, you know, how the state of affairs patient is stable, then maybe we can kind of let people um, listen to some music. Um, but I always think that, and I'm a big pro- proponent of this, the more calm, cool, collected you are, the more that everybody will feed off of that energy and the, the team works a little bit better. So I'm not saying that you're lax, that you have to be lax, but you just have to just make sure that you're collected. Yeah. Okay. It'll rub off. Definitely. I'm honestly, surgery is, I think the path I want to do. I love it so far. I really am enjoying ortho surgery a lot, but we're both EMT. So we both like the kind of like trauma aspect of it so I, I it's actually really cool that I get that to hear it from you that you can do also like not just super traumatic cases also some general surgery cases but I was gonna ask was trauma surgery like an additional fellowship for you or or was that part of the training yes okay no so it's a dish ball okay so basically general surgery you're basically exposed to so many different aspects of surgery right so you're exposed to the things that you're going to be doing when you finish residency, which is mainly general surgery issues that are basically below the neck and like right to the pelvis. Mm -hmm. But as part of your training, you get exposed to different fields. Like you get exposed to neurosurgery, you get exposed to orthopedic surgery, you get exposed to ear, nose and throat, you get exposed to plastic surgery, transplant surgery. And the reason why you get exposed to all those different fields is you may decide to do additional training to become that type of surgeon, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But also you may need some of those skills in your actual general surgery experience. Um, But in order to do trauma surgery or to do, um, you know, cardiothoracic, which is a heart surgeon and surgeon, once you finish your five years of training, then you have to do additional training. And that's what I did. Right. Right? So vascular surgery, you have to do an additional two years or three years afterwards. Plastic surgery is additional three. Pediatric surgery is an additional three. Those are the fields that you do additional uh, training for. Did that kind of put you off, though, the amount of years, or it didn't really matter to you? Like, you were like, this is what I want to do. Because I know a lot of people, that is definitely, like, a swaying factor. You know, I, I truly feel like if this is what you want to do, you know, you might as well just keep going and, and yeah. get the training that you've always wanted. For me, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, and I, from a very early age, I knew right. I wanted to be a doctor. Since watching TV, Doogie Howser, mm-hmm. um, you know, falling in love with the concept of Heathcliff Huxtable, on TV, like I just knew, like this is what I wanted to be. Um, so I kind of mentally was knew that it was going to be a long time until I was able to practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then once you once you get into medical school, you know, what, what are you going to be doing? You might as well just get the training that you've always wanted to get. True, right? you're provided, already there. <laughs> provided you're interested in it. For you ladies, what I would definitely recommend is one: keep an open mind. And be open to everything, right? Um, just because you like orthopedic surgery now, you may end up liking cardiothoracic or heart surgery right, later sure. on, or maybe neurosurgery. So keep your passions, but also at the same time, just keep an open eye mind to everything else. Um, and then, like you're doing already, find mentors or find people who are doing something that you're very interested 
uh, in and, you know, just connect with them. And just remember, though, when you're developing a mentor-mentee relationship, that it's always incumbent on the mentee to keep that relationship going. But in right. turn, they're exposing you to things that you would never get a chance to do. And you guys are at the perfect age that, you know, you can start, you're going to be impressionable and you can develop those type of relationships. Yeah. So. That's great. We wanted to ask, the last question was, uh, if you don't mind telling us about your podcast a little bit, because I know we both yeah. know that you also host a podcast of your own. Yeah, so I host a podcast called Docs Outside the Box. It's a podcast where I feature and I interview ordinary doctors who are doing extraordinary things outside of medicine. Oh, awesome. And um, it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can get your podcast, you can feature it. Now, the reason I started that podcast is, let's take it all the way back to <laughs> what I was mentioning about being an adrenaline junkie. And as you know, you're in college. But once you're done, you know, every four years, you're going to be moving or going to something different, right? Yeah. You finish medical school, you go to residency, then from residency, you, if you decide to do fellowship, and then from there, you got to find a job. So every couple of years, you're going to be transitioning. Right. So for me, that was my thing. I just never stopped to smell the roses. I never mm -hmm. really just mm -hmm. appreciated that I was in medical school, or I never appreciated that I actually was a doctor now and was a resident and didn't have much accountability, right? Or recognizing <laughs> that, you know, now I'm in Miami. And I'm treating and taking care of people who need it the most, but just enjoy Miami a little bit. So once yeah. I became an attending, I just was just like, well, what's next? What's the next thing? And um, I just started realizing that I had a lot more passions outside of medicine, just as much as I had passion inside the hospital. So I wanted to start interviewing people who were passionate about not just what they do in the hospital or in the clinic, but also what they do outside, whether it's, you know, you know, working with doctors without borders, or maybe they're on TV like Dr. Oz, or maybe they coach other doctors, or they start podcasts. Let's, I wanted to hear from those people. Um, and so far, you know, it's kind of resonated. And I've been really surprised about it, because I thought it was going to be really niche, right? Like, nobody really wants to hear about doctors who do things outside of medicine. But apparently, yeah, people do. <laughs> so do. that's great. That's what I've been doing for the past three years. Yeah. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nee. It was great talking yeah, with you. Thank you, thank so you for much. all of your advice and your words. And uh, we thank you so much. Hey, thank you for having me on the show. I think you ladies are doing amazing things. You are way ahead of where I was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just know that you all are doing great things. Continue to keep doing this podcast. Continue to reach out to people. Continue to keep inspiring other people who are looking up to you all, mm -hmm. who may be in high school or maybe you know early stages of college and are wondering what to do with their lives and they're looking to y'all to what y'all doing. So keep yeah, it up. Yeah, thank you. I, think... I never, never really thought of it that way. <laughs> I know. I think we kind of started it in the mindset of, okay, we're going through this kind of crazy experience of the highs and lows of everything. And we thought, well, I bet there's obviously a ton of other people out there going through the same thing or yeah. who are going to go through the same thing. And we thought, well, we would listen to someone who's going through the same stuff as us. So might yeah. as well talk yeah, about talk it. About it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think it's amazing because people just want to watch and see, right? Because that builds credibility. They want to see that you're going through the highs of being, you know, an emergency room tech and what it's like to see a trauma and then kind of maybe the lows of not sure if you're going to apply to medical school. I'm not saying that's going to happen to yeah. you, but like yeah. they want to see that, right? So it's it's um you can kind of be an inspiration by just being an example. So Yes. Well, thank you so much, Nee, again. You're welcome. Of You're course. welcome. Congratulations to you both. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. 
Thanks so much, guys, for listening to our interview with Dr. Nidarko. Again, thank you, Dr. Darko. Um, Stay tuned for the next episode. We have some great things planned. We're going to talk about bizarre medical cases, the CRISPR babies. So, in my opinion, the next episode's looking pretty good. So, give it a listen. This is Nairi. And McKenna. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.